War in Israel, Day 11, Tuesday, October 17, 2023. We speak today with Colonel Miri Eisen. She is a powerhouse of knowledge and experience. For more than 20 years, Colonel Eisen worked in the military specializing in intelligence and related matters. She speaks with us about what all the high-level diplomatic action may mean and what tomorrow may bring. But, she says, anyone who speaks with authority and pretends to know does not, because that's exactly what leadership is doing now. They are in the room developing a strategy and how to manage this extraordinarily complex war on the West. I'm Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel and, at the moment, in Toronto, Canada. But I live in the awesome state of Tel Aviv and look forward to returning there soon. Tuesday, October 17th, it's 2.30 Eastern Time in North America, where I am, which makes it 9.30 p.m. at night where you are. Colonel Miri Eisen, welcome to the state of Tel Aviv, and thank you so much for making time for us today. Are you kidding? When Vivian asks, I come. <laughs> Miri, I'm going to call you Miri just for ease uh, on this podcast, Colonel Eisen. You have a deep experience in military intelligence, strategy. You spent 20 years of your career in the military working in these areas, and you have moved on now into the private sector. Tell us briefly what you're doing today. I'm the newly um, appointed director of the International Institute for Counterterrorism at Reichmann University. Really just started this week because of the war. And I teach both at Reichmann and I do an enormous amount of engagement with what we call influentials about the about the arena. And uh, I'll just uh, make a shameless plug. If anyone's looking for a brilliant speaker, Miri's your, Miri's your first stop. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get down to what the heck is going on. I don't want to go back. I don't want to look at what didn't um, happen, what didn't we do, where the failures were, because I think they're all pretty self-evident. What I do want to do is focus on the today, the here and now, and going forward. We have um, President Biden coming into Israel tomorrow. We have Secretary of State uh, Anthony Blinken, who has been in the country and shuttling around the area for days. We have the top general from uh, Central Command U.S., if he's not already there, then coming any moment. These trips send a very strong signal to the world. Do you agree? And what is it? The world is involved. This conflict is not a conflict just between Israel and the Hamas terror organization. It's a conflict between many of the Western countries who not only feel for Israel, but understand that this is something that impacts them directly. And again, not because of Israel and Jews, but because this type of terrorism is something that is an example in its unprecedented way to every terror group around the world. So it's not just the diplomacy that's on the table here. There's a lot of different things that are happening right now. Everybody's waiting for the ground operation. Everybody wonders what's happening with the hostages. Everybody sees all of these different leaders coming in, add to the table. The German counselor is here. I've heard that perhaps the French president is going to arrive. A lot of people coming on and in. And I say the French president because I want to remind everybody that aside from Hamas ground operation, Hamas and the hostages in the international arena, there's a place called Lebanon to the north of Israel. And on the other side of that border is an organization called Hezbollah. And Hezbollah has 10 times the capabilities of Hamas. And Hezbollah for the last five years, very openly and overtly, has been training and planning to do the type of attack that we saw from Hamas a week ago Saturday. 
So in that sense, it's like these four different things. Oh, can I add one more thing? Today, the supreme leader, Khamenei, of the Iranian revolution, the supreme religious leader, he is the key component, said that they cannot stand by, they have to come and save A, Palestine, B, Jerusalem, Al-Quds. So these are all of the things that are on the arena just from today and all of the things that impact the decision makers on how they look at what they're doing tomorrow and in the upcoming days. I'm going to ask you the impossible question that you just served up. What do you think is going to happen tomorrow? I, perhaps different from every single expert that I abhor over the last 12 days, don't talk in exclamation marks. I have no idea. I don't think, Vivian, that anybody has any idea. I think that the decision makers are sitting and trying to make that decision. But it's the combination of ground operation and preparing for it. The, the hostages and how you take care of that. Continuing, of course, the attacks against Hamas, I'm not even saying that right now. The diplomatic arena and what that means, because the diplomatic arena is not about stopping Israel. It's about an international coalition against the horrific Hamas. It's about everybody being on board with how you, again, you can't eliminate, but you can heavily, heavily destroy Hamas capabilities and terrorists. It's the diplomatic um, arena about Hezbollah, or perhaps the need for something even further militarily. Because as I said before, Hezbollah has 10 times the capacity of what Hamas has shown us in the last 12 days. So I don't know. And I think that all of the experts who say they know um, need to feel that they're talking a lot. Um, it's called the decision-making process. That's what they have to decide. A decision-making process in a very volatile and fluid environment. So if they're if also we're... interconnected, meaning uh-huh. Hezbollah and the Supreme Leader have directly, they've been poking all, all the last 10 days and they keep upping it again, but they're poking. They're trying to keep it low level. They're trying not to open up a full front, but they want to say that they're in it. But they have made statements that they've said that if Israel starts the ground operation, then they'll have no choice. Meaning what they're trying to do is to blame Israel for they, an additional horrific terror organization, joining in to help out Hamas. We've already seen, Miri, international kind of media attention shift the sympathy factor towards the um, civilians in the Gaza Strip who are besieged, who don't have drinking water, who are being bombed. Um, Do you think that the media coverage will make much of a difference, if any, on the decision leaders? Media makes a big difference, certainly when it comes to public opinion, and public opinion afterwards can impact leaders. In this case, I actually think that this doesn't only have to do with Israel. This has to do with the policies of every single one of the countries that we're talking about, Uh who understand, who saw the, the attack, that unprecedented, inconceivable, incomprehensible terror war that was done pre-planned, executed in such a way, in such a horrific way, that the impact of that is not something that's about to go away. This isn't about, we need to be balanced. Second aspect is that the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, in our actions against the Hamas and the Gaza Strip have said this time, they cannot hide behind their people as human shields. So we didn't go and kill people. We told the people of the Gaza Strip, move. We are going to attack that neighborhood because Hamas is there. Move. We are going to attack that town because Hamas is there. And we're still going after specific targets. And the civilians who are there 
If they back Hamas, they back Hamas. Has Hamas made them stay there? Perhaps. As we all know, at least half a million people have moved. We're not attacking those people. Is it an easy scenario? We're not in an easy war. This is the worst war ever. 1,400 Israelis were butchered. You have to get to the type of leadership, to the type of butchers who put together the plan. You have to get to the 25,000 Hamas terror operatives who didn't come into Israel to do the attack and are waiting there now, using their own people and our hostages as a human shield. So I say Israel has told those people to move. It isn't easy. I absolutely don't want them to be hurt. But this isn't about them. It's about the Hamas who are embedded in them. We saw yesterday, Miri, preceding days as well, but a new kind of psyops, a psychological warfare video released by Hamas of a young woman who had been at this music festival and they stage a video to show her being treated in a hospital and they tell her what to say, of course, she's not doing this of her own free will and how they're, she tells us in Hebrew that she's being taken, they're taking very good care of her and she's very welcome there and she's being fed and she's sleeping comfortably. Do you think that's having any effect at this stage on anyone? It's in Terrorism Manual 101. Yeah. But Terrorism Manual 101 says, show that you're taking good care of the hostages that you took brutally killing their families in front of them, dragging them away. The known number, 199 people from age nine months through Holocaust survivor, 85 years old. It's all part of it. Vivian, they live stream their murdering, butchering, and torturing the different families in the communities that live in Israel next to the Gaza Strip. So yeah, they're going to show now that they're the good guys and we need to be aware. It always has an impact. That's part of the Terror Manual 101, the uh -huh. visuals, the social media, the feeding out this total false narrative. I want to hope for this young woman, Maya, that she's taken care of. But I know that these are psyops and there's 199 people there and they showed one young woman under duress as they're telling her what to say. Miri, you said the number 199. I've heard many different numbers with respect to hostages in Gaza. Is that a confirmed, verified number, 199? That's the number that the IDF spokesperson has put out. Spokesperson okay. has said that they have told 199 families that the people that they are looking for are hostages. There's okay. still, in addition to the 199, at least several hundred of different additional Israelis, both from the party and from the communities that were attacked in that area, including inside the city of Zderot and other ones, you still have people who are missing, meaning they haven't been identified as being a hostage. And we don't know what happened if the Hamas dragged their bodies and just dumped them in the Gaza Strip. And so it's so difficult to be able to find them. This is part of the chaos, again, of the psyops that you mentioned before, part of the terrorizing mechanism, terrorism manual 101. This has nothing to do with the Palestinians and the Gazans. This is called Hamas terrorism manual. In the meantime, this was just uh, reported by NBC News uh, Chief Correspondent Richard Engel that um, Hamas says it's willing to release all civilian hostages immediately if Gaza bombing stops. One of the biggest challenges when it comes to these type of situations is in the blinking game. Do I, Mary, do I, the Prime Minister of Israel, believe Hamas right now? Of course Hamas wants to stop the bombing. They took the hostages in the first place as their human shields. At this stage along the way, it becomes part of, and I call it the art, 
of understanding the terrorism, of understanding hostage negotiation, but because of the unprecedented manner of what happened last Saturday, you can't address it like you did it every time before. We know that they took 199, they live filmed it and showed them as they were dragging them on and in. Do we know where they are? Do we know how they are? So yay, now they're willing to say, how do they define civilians? So all the kids that were at the, by the way, Hamas all of the years, and this is by the religious leaders, they say that all Israelis are soldiers because they all either have served in the military, will serve in the military. It doesn't matter if you're a nine-month baby. So I, I hope that they'll um, release the Holocaust survivor, but I have a feeling she's the only one that they would see as a civilian at this stage along the way. It's a very tricky idea. Mary Eisen, thank you so much for making time for us today. It's really been helpful, and I know that our listeners will appreciate it, and I hope that we are able to speak with you again in the near future. Stay strong. The worst may still be in front of us. Stay strong. But I keep telling Thank people you. it's going to get worse. Thank you, Miri. Bye-bye. We are committed to bringing you authoritative and diverse voices like Colonel Miri Eisen, as well as regular Israelis who are stepping up and doing what needs to be done. We'll be on this 24-7 throughout this crisis. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. We'll keep the dispatches coming as frequently as we can. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment, rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can check out our full library of articles and podcasts at our website, stateoftelaviv.com. State of Tel Aviv is an independent media venture, and we rely on subscribers to support our work. If you are not yet a paying subscriber, please consider taking the plunge today. Each person really does make a huge difference, especially in these very challenging times in Israel. It is important that you stay informed and current and seek out a range of perspectives. This is a pivotal moment in Israeli history. It is not a time to be passive and disengaged. Thanks for sticking with me to the end. I'm Vivian Berkovich, signing off from deep inside the state of Tel Aviv. <laughs>